for the third time we're trying you're listening to the dial-up on the all things comedy network this is an american uh. history podcast where each week i dave anthony read a story from american history to my friend uh garrett threadles who has no idea what the topic is going to be about that, that was, was hard great. well i just i it started as a bit feeder went off it started as a bit where I would just see the leave meeting option, and it just enticed me. Anytime someone recorded, hit leave meeting, and now it's become oh. like this thing where I just see it, you and I'm like, it. "Yeah, all right, let's do it. Leave meeting." Yeah. yeah, I did that the other day in a meeting. I accidentally hit stop, and I was like, "Oh, I don't want to do that," and I just hit leave meeting, and I was like, "Oh, I just left the meeting." <laughs> leave meeting. <laughs> it's a. It is the new storm out. It's how you. Yeah. It's how you storm out now. Yeah, fuck that. I'm out of here. Leave meeting. Um, what a culture. What a time. I just, I just feel like we should say something about what happened on the Oscars. Oh, I, I, I'll, l- let, me, let me talk about it. Um, okay. I, I really thought that the Penelope Cruz, yeah. uh, Javier Bardem stuff was out of line. Um, yeah. And yes, thank you, you. Do not, you do not talk about them like that. Right. They had two jokes made at them. And and by the way, I don't know if you noticed, Bardem just sat there. Yeah. Okay. You're supposed to get up, up. and do something about it. Take care of business. And called it quote his jam pad. Jam pad. I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave. Okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like anarchy. On a five part coefficient. <laughs> Come on, now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. Action part. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Rhoda. Rhoda in the court. Well, if you've been listening to this uh, show for a while, you probably heard me talk about Helix mattresses. We are big, big fans of the Helix mattress. Well, Helix has moved out of the bedroom, and they've started making sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform, and uh, they're making the best sofas we've ever seen here at the Dollop. First of all, uh, you can customize a sofa using their premium materials, much cheaper than a normal sofa situation. You get to pick your fabric. You can pick your sofa color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, shape it so it fits in your house just right. they got armchairs. they got love seats. All the way up to an eight-seat sectional. All form sofas are also delivered directly to your house. Previously, you order a sofa. It could take months to arrive. Now it's just three to seven days. You put it together in a few minutes. Like, um, like, like a Lego situation. You put it together like Legos. It's incredible. I have a three-seat sofa with a chaise. Teal? I went with the teal color. Everybody loves it. I sleep on it a lot. It's very comfortable. It's very big. And it looks really nice. And look, if you're worried about uh, getting a sofa without trying out in a store or checking out in a store, don't worry about it. You've got 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's over three months. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dollop. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash dollop. That's 20% off all orders at A-L-L-F-O-R-M dot com slash dollop. For a lot of us learning a second language in high school, uh, not exactly the high point of your academic career. Personally, I tried to learn French. Uh, I don't know any French now, and I took it for two years, so that's a pretty bad sign. Uh, so now we have Babbel, and that's a language learning app. There's, it's a super addictive, easy way to learn a new language. 
whatever you're going to be doing, traveling abroad, try to connect with family, or you just got some free time, Babbel gives you bite-sized language lessons that you're going to actually use in the real world. So Babbel has 15-minute lessons, and it makes it the perfect way to learn a language on the go, fit into your own schedule. They don't use AI. A lot of other companies do, but they, Babbel actually has over 100 language experts that's created their lessons. And there's just so many different ways to learn with Babbel. Uh, besides just lessons, they have podcasts and games and videos and stories and live classes, so you can totally mix it up. You get a 20-day money-back guarantee. So start your new language learning journey today. You can join me. I'm learning Spanish so I can get on El Dollop someday. That's the whole goal. Right now, you can save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash dollop. That's babbel.com slash dollop for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. And we're also brought to you in part by Peloton. You know, one of the things, the hard things about working out is uh, keeping it fresh instead of, you know, just getting real stale and bored and like, it's hard to get motivated when you're doing the same thing over and over again. So Peloton is pushing you further with the new Peloton bike and Peloton Bike Plus. They got new classes, they got new music, new ways to keep your workouts fun and motivating. One of the new things that they've added that I'm really into right now is boxing. Uh, you don't need gloves. You're not going to be actually hitting anybody. It's just super fast. It's a really good workout with the Peloton instructors. Uh, even if you've never boxed before or done anything like it, the classes really, really give you a good workout. And you're working on, like, the fundamentals, the form, the footwork, uh, combos, all that kind of stuff. And then they've also added new artist series music selections. So you can work out now to the music of a single artist for an entire class. So you can find your favorite music and then, you know, just get your workout on. That's what I say over here in the house. And they got more daily workout variety. They got a different workout for every day if you want to do that. You can do a 30 minutes of strength. You can do 20 minutes of cardio. Do like a 15-minute total body class before work. You can jump on the bike. Whatever. They got a bunch of different stuff. So stay motivated with bike workouts, yoga, meditation, dance, cardio. As I said, boxing. So look, visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. That's O-N-E-P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. And we're also brought to you by Trade. Mmm, sweet coffee. That's what we're talking about. So I recently got a, a new batch of coffee from Trade. They sent me... What, the way it works is you go in and you take a little test. It asks you what you like. You get what kind of coffee maker you have. What do you like? Ground, beans, whatever. Light, all that stuff. Uh, and then it goes, bam, here's what I think you like. And I recently got Huckleberry. Huck, as it says on the front, from Denver, Colorado. I drink my coffee black, so Huck is nice without the milk or whatever in it. It's a little bit sweet. Got a little bit of, like, milk chocolate flavor in there. Really like it. Of course, I like the bump. I always like the bump from a little coffee. Um, great. So they nailed it. You know, the, the little quiz totally worked. And that's how they do it. Trade is connecting the customers with the coffee they like, and they send it right to your home. And it comes from independent businesses all over the country. So you're helping independent businesses, which is great. Experts taste it. So they're not just randomly saying you stuff. They got a bunch of people that try the coffee. They sip it. They go, I think Dave would like this. Trade also has a first match guarantee, so they think they're going to nail it with the quiz. So if they don't, well, they'll listen to you, and then an actual coffee expert person will work with you to figure out the exact right brand for you. So that's pretty cool. They work with businesses who pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source. So that's it. You just go to the website, you answer a couple of questions, and you get your own personalized coffee sent from trade. 
So right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash dollop. That's over 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash dollop and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash dollop for $30 off. David, mm-hmm. and have an ad-free experience, you can very easily join the dollop Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash the dollop, probably, something like that. That's correct. Um, you can see my mustache, which is beautiful. Not great. Uh, Dave's taking a ride on it. And, um, well. yeah, so you can join the Patreon, and um, that's a good way to do that. And also, Dave, before we get into some of your bullshit, why don't we talk about going on tour? That's right. We will be in Australia and America, the two best continents in the world, uh, North America. Uh, is the best continent number one? Obviously, best uh, best country best country in the continent is the uh, United States of America. Anyway, <coughs> Australia, April nineteenth, we will be in Melbourne. April twentieth, we will be in Adelaide. Uh, April twenty fourth, Hamer Hall. Twenty seventh, we'll be in Brisbane. Twenty ninth, Sydney. Thirtieth, Canberra. May first, uh, Sydney at the Enmore Theater. May third, in Perth. And then U.S. dates, May 12th, Boston, May 13th, New York City, that's NYC, um, May 14th, D.C., May 15th, Philly, June 2nd, Madison, June 3rd, Milwaukee, June 4th, Chicago, June 5th, St. Paul, June 17th, Seattle, and June 18th, we will be in Portland. Go to dollopodcast.com for tickets and information. And I, myself, will be in Australia doing some stand-up. That's right. Thursday, April 21st, I'll be in Fullerton. Uh, April 22nd, I'll be in Melbourne. April 23rd, I'll be in Melbourne. Uh, May 4th, I'll be in Northbridge. May 5th, I'll be in Brisbane. May 6th, I'll be in Sydney. May 8th, I'll be in Canberra. Uh, And then some U.S. dates. Uh, May 16th, I will be in uh, Maryland. Uh, Lutherville Timonium. That's where I'll be in Maryland. <laughs> on May 17th, I'll be in D.C. On May 19th, I'll be in Virginia Beach. May 20th, I'll be in Brooklyn. Uh, then June 8th, I'll be in Oxnard. And June 9th, I will be in Irvine. Those are in California. So go to GarethReynolds.com for information and nudes. That went on forever. That was a while. just want to apologize. We need the Micro Machines guy. That stuff. April 10th, 1952, year of Ooh. our Lord Jesucristo. Number one. Frederick, oops, sorry, Stephen Frederick Siegel was born in Lansing, Michigan. What's his name? Stephen Frederick Siegel. Yeah, is it Stephen Seagal and you're just mispronouncing it? It's if Stephen this, Frederick is- Siegel. If this is the Steven Seagal, listen to me. If mm-hmm. this is the Steven Seagal episode and you're trying to throw me off the scent so that I'll be called stupid on Twitter by strangers, not going to work. Steven Seagal, got it. He was born in Lansing, Michigan. His mother, Patricia, was a medical technician. His father, Samuel, was a high school math teacher. His paternal okay. grandparents were Russian Jewish immigrants. Okay. And Stephen was a frail child. He suffered from asthma. And okay. uh, his mom would later say that he was a, quote, puny child. What a nice thing to say. It's very good. Boy. 
That's what you want to hear. It was puny. Smug. Puny with little baby lungs. Weak he had boy. Baby lungs. The weakest boy. He was a weak baby with little weak baby lungs. I pick him up. Puny. I break him all the time. I would put him on table and flick him between Papa's uh, hands, which were spread like field goal. <laughs> A future wife said he had always been bullied as a child. Now he had. Did she come through a portal? I'm your future wife. I'm your. Fu- yeah, that's that happens sometimes. It's me. Hello, I'll I still haven't you. had mine. Um, it's me, your wife from the future. So he had three siblings, and when he was five, they moved out west to Fullerton, California. Beautiful Fullerton. Mmm, mm, If you've not been, oh, been. good lord. I mean, so gorgeous. Go. At the age of seven, Stephen <laughs> fell in love with martial arts. He Dude, be- hmm? shut the fuck up. What? Shut, shut up. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> you, I mean, are we, are, Dave, hmm. are we in the dojo? <laughs> Dave. I might have to take a piss break already. I'm going to pee my pants. He beca- Are we? Oh, my God. Okay, he began go ahead. training with Humio Demura. Demura was a well-known instructor who came from Japan. He worked a, a bit in show business, uh, most notably in the Karate Kid movies, as the stunt double for Pat Morita. Uh, I am. <laughs> I might need a popcorn break. <laughs> <laughs> he, chain, he trained okay, Pat Morita. Morita. Mr. Uh, Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. Who based, Mr. Miyagi was based on uh, Demira. So oh, okay. big, big, big sure. guy in martial arts. Um, so that's who sure. was training him. So young Steven got top-notch training, obviously. And as he grew up, he spent his time doing martial arts and listening to rock music. Nice. That tracks. If we're talking about my guy. As a teen, tracks. he began Aikido training. At 17... Steven Siegel decided he needed to go all in on his training by going to Japan. Nice. So at 18 years old, okay. off he goes to Japan. Um, it's the early 70s. His trip to Japan wasn't uh, long or successful. Japanese teachers, they, they didn't generally accept Westerners, especially not Americans, because they didn't think they had the discipline. Um, right. Most Americans also just went to Japan hoping to learn enough some moves to go back and open their own dojo. That does not sound like America. At all. Like people. No, we normally are the ones who put in the time and effort. Yeah. And then if we benefit from it, sure, I guess. Maybe. Okay. But that's never but, our thing. Yeah, our thing is not we to, want make to money learn and benefit. It's no, it's why we have the biggest brains in the world. Thank you. And why yeah, we we bleed democracy. Yeah. And we just wanna we're culture people. 100%. Think of our exports. Blue our, jeans. Our, Saved by the Bell. Yes. Those are our goes two on main forever. ones. We have, we have other Those exports. are the two big. Yeah. Those are the two big. So, uh, so Stephen wasn't like that. He wanted to go there and learn. And he went and he trained for eight hours a day for two years. Now, this is one of Stephen's stories from his time there. He said he wanted to learn from a sword master at one point. And so he went to the monastery where the sword master was, but he wouldn't meet with Stephen. And Stephen came every day for a year. And then the sword it's master... Yeah, then the sword master said there was no room for, for students, but they had room for a dog if he wanted to be a dog. 
And Stephen knew this was a Zen riddle. And he crouched low on all fours and walked like a dog inside the monastery. And then his teaching began. Is that true? I absolutely cannot be. This is something Stephen said. Uh, I don't believe it for a fucking second. That is... uh, It's also not a riddle. Also, yeah, it's not a riddle. And also, what if it wasn't like something they read in the book? They were like, all right, so this guy's just going to be our dog. And like for two years, you're like, I can't believe I'm just eating kibble and having to shit outside. This is real bullshit. He's like, when does my training start? They're like, we just said we needed a dog, man. There's no training. We told you. You're just the dog here now. I thought it was a riddle. Do you know what a riddle is? No. Not really. No. Look, I don't know what to tell you. That's why we shame you when you get hard-ons. And if we fart, <laughs> we blame it on you. You're the dog here. Uh, so he later said to the New York Times, quote, you have to understand that the way to enlightenment is through deprivation. They create an environment where you're not getting any approval for all the work you're putting in. You're not getting any sleep or love or attention. You're getting your butt kicked and you're up before anyone fixing meals and cleaning. And then one day a teacher says, yeah, you've done a good job, so I'm going to start teaching you. Despite knowing this, Stephen blew it during a lesson when he replied, yes, I know. And the swordmaster believed he was saying he knew the lesson and asked him to leave the monastery. I mean, he, he, I just... This is something, this is just one of those things you hear and you go, yeah, that never happened. He didn't, yeah, he didn't spend years cleaning and doing shit for people, and then one day, like you can train now. That's not a thing that happened. I mean, I'm not even saying that it it didn't happen, but I will say that if someone is going to say that it stuff like this, they probably are from California originally. To some extent. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you like no, I, I mean I've met normal people who've grown up here, but for the most part, like when people are like I'm from here originally, I'm like I'm, you're just to me a red walking red flag until you unveil yourself as a human. Uh, so I grew up in L.A. You're like, uh, uh, how old were you when you got your first headshot? Nine. <laughs> right, get out of here. So uh, he he goes back to California and he meets. I'm a dog, Dad. I, I went to dog school. <laughs> I'm your dog now. Let me sleep at the feet of your bed, father. So he meets uh, Miyako Fujitani, and they meet at LAX. And she said he looked, quote, like a Japanese ghost in one of those Hawaiian shirts, the really bright ones. Thank you. Thank you so much. Your your standard Japanese ghost in a Hawaiian shirt. I, but he's like, I've read the book of pickup lines. I knew she was hitting on me. <laughs> of course she was That's hitting on me. In the same riddle book that I read, there's also in the back half, there's Japanese pickup lines where they say you look like Don Ho, the yeah. Japanese ghost. Yeah, I mean, if a lady, or if you, a Japanese lady wants you, she's like, hey, man, you look like a ghost on vacation. That's just one of her you look like first... a you look like You look like a dead Japanese tourist. <laughs> so Want to drive me home? I wish I could, but I'm a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't. I still. I'm living as a dog right now. Ask me if. Ask me if I can drive you home. Can Can you drive me home? Boo. Um. Boo. 
Sorry, I spent okay. years in a monastery. So, uh-huh. 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 and what did they and did they what did they teach you at the monastery? <laughs> you were talking before this, so now I'm I'm, I'm not I sure. went into my training. Okay, I <laughs> the best the best part is how Larry in the up. background, your dog, was like, "There's some bullshit happening in here." <laughs> Um, so they, they're into each other, right? Who wouldn't be at this okay. point? It's a great story. She, right. she's a second yeah. degree black belt, um, and the daughter of an Aikido master. And I'm a third degree dog. <laughs> I have a green belt in Labrador. I'm now a lab. Uh, so, so, uh, they fall in love. And when she decides to return, return to Osaka, Stephen follows her. And they get Ooh. married <laughs> in Japan. That's right. Aru! Aru! Aru want to marry her! They have a son. They have a daughter. Um, he learns Japanese. A doctor. We have a son and a doctor. And uh, I'm still living as a dog, babe. He becomes a disciple of an Aikido headmaster, which happened to be her dad. So uh, okay. he also said at this point he became a Shinto priest. And then I looked that up, and it would take a year, and he'd have to live on the site. So that didn't happen. Um, Interesting. Stephen said his head Aikido master sent him to the north of Japan to open a dojo and teach their so, you know, their ways. So mostly so far, it's the things that Stephen are saying are like he's the he's a prodigy. Yes. And then that is buffering up against some reality that you're flagging. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So he gets sent up there. He said he was the first Westerner to have a dojo in Japan. Okay. Quote, my first two years, people from your average hood to the martial arts community were constantly trying to kick my butt or burn down my dojo or discredit and shame me. And then I established a reputation, and nobody wanted to try anything. Steven said some of the people he fought were Yakuza. Wow. So, okay, I'm sorry. So, yeah. So, so he, okay, so just to be clear, again, mm-hmm. Steven opened a dojo in Imagine Town, which is in the north part of the Japan. The north part of Japan, Imagine Town. And, and there, and there, people were trying to burn down the dojo, mm-hmm. kill the dojo, you know, mm-hmm. fuck with him in many different ways. Yep. Again, he's now a walking dog and talking dog. Yes. And he led through respect enough to the point where people are like, hey, hold on a second. This guy's actually pretty cool once, yeah. he, once he stops barking at you. And among the hearts that he changed were that of some of the most dangerous and elite um, assassins and criminals, to, yeah, and criminals known to society. That's right. So he changed the the heartless actions of Yakuza. They were like, "Look, we tried to fight him, but this guy's just too awesome." <laughs> That's right. Sorry, Stephen. Sorry for trying to do what we tried to do. <laughs> Never before has anyone ever been able to melt the heart of Yakuza. But you've done it. You, Steven. You. you, dog man. You, dog boy. You, come here. Want a bone? There you go. Look at him. Get on your back legs. Put it on his nose. Wait, wait, wait. Flip it. Good boy. 
In truth, the dojo is owned by his mother-in-law and managed by Miyako. As far as fighting, as far as fighting criminals, uh, Miyako said, uh, quote, it is a lie. He once chased a few drunks away from the dojo. <laughs> Get out of here, Yakuza. We don't want any part of you. <laughs> just the guys who are just have their dicks out of their pants. They're like, ah, I'm late to go meet my wife. Yeah. God, I fought off more Yakuza tonight. There's so many of them. Everyone who hates me is Yakuza. As far as the black belt he earned, she said mm-hmm. the judge was infamous for his laziness. Quote, he fell asleep during Stephen's presentation. The judge just gave him the black belt. What happened? Yeah, give him a black belt. What? I'm drunk. <laughs> so he wants he wants to return to the U.S. to get into movies. That's what he's been about this whole time. So, is there any inkling that he should, other than having the Miyagi guy train him? Like it's just sort of like I, a. I, I think that I think that he he. And not, again, by the way, not that not that most actors have fabulous plans or anything. Right, right. Not that not that deciding you want to act is like a you know like the end to a, a fruitful plot. I mean, look, martial arts isn't. It's not just fighting. It's a lifestyle. It's a belief system. It's like it's. It, they don't just train your body. Train your mind also. Like it's a whole thing. And I think that I just going over his history, I'm like, well, he thought it would be awesome to have an incredible backstory. And then come right. back to the U.S. with this backstory. Like, that's how it right. feels. And he happened to fall in love. But also, he happened to fall in love with a, a black belt that he met whose father had a dojo. Like, it's all very convenient sure. that that's who he fell in love with. Like, he probably Do you think when he her. opened the dojo, he called it a dog Joe? <laughs> yes, it was his dog Joe. How did you okay. know that? Welcome to the dog Joe. Here, coming through those little flaps on the ground. Burr. That's how you enter the dog Joe. That's how we come in. Now bark. Now sit. Good boy. All right. There you go. You have a yellow belt. Um, Okay, so he, like he says, he says he he keeps saying he wants to return to the U.S. Go to the movie. So Miyako saves money for years to help pay his way back. And then Stephen leaves his family in Japan and comes back to the U.S. in 1980. Uh, Miyako, quote, uh, on top of running the dojo, I had to raise my children. I don't know how we got by. Sometimes we could only afford cheap brown rice for dinner. And she did she she came with him, yes? No. Obviously. No, she stayed there, so he basically leaves her there to raise the kids and they're just eating brown rice while he's like having Poke Bowls in Fullerton. Yeah, that's about right. Because he wow. Okay. Because she has to run the dojo for the family. Like it's a family business, right? So whatever. Right. Sure. So in the US Steven says he is disgusted by the way. By the- I, you know, I, I've never had children because I'm like this idea of being like a deadbeat shithead just doesn't appeal to me. Sure. But it's like if that was on the table where it was just like, yeah, I could have two kids in another country and just like rarely see them. Like that doesn't feel too high pressure to me. No, if you could just bail at any time, then it's probably a lot easier to be a yeah. dad. Yeah. Yeah. If you're like my kids live in a completely my kids live an ocean away. Yeah. So, um. So back in the U.S., he's, he says he's disgusted by the fast food U.S. approach to martial arts. You should be eating kibble. He thought that Americans just knew martial arts through Hollywood movies. So he wants to change this. He opens a dojo in New Mexico. That fails pretty quick. And then he comes back to sure. L.A. and opens a dojo on La Cienega in West Hollywood, where all the great, wow. where all the great martial arts. Yep. 
people. Where, uh, Billy Blanks with Tybo. Thank you. Um, the list goes on and on of great martial that's arts just the that only one started on La That we can remember, but that's all of them. Most. Well, that's Billy that's Blanks. A lot I always come back to Billy Blanks because he's obviously he top. Was the, yes, dog. he's obviously the best. Yep. Um, he starts getting a reputation in L.A. as being an authority on martial arts. A shithead. Oh, sorry. Okay. Now, we can imagine, having lived in L.A., that he probably went to a lot of parties and hung out a lot of places to get his name. You know, he's a networking Let guy. Let me tell you about my origin story. <laughs> it wasn't easy. A guy, one time, I, but I'd read the riddle book, so I knew he wasn't just going to treat me like a dog. But I still walked in on all fours at that point. Then they liked me so much that I had to fight Yakuza when uh-huh. I opened my dog, Joe, in the north of Japan near Imagine Town. That's where my wife and family live, and I haven't seen them in a couple years. I'm just sick of people out here thinking it's all about show. That's not me. My wife and two children live there. They only eat brown rice. Um, my favorite food is Domino's. <laughs> okay. Next. Yeah. Oh, do you want me to read the lines? Or... <laughs> I could do some of the lines, too. I just was sort of giving you a little content. When you said no, it's fine. slate it's your name, it's I great. thought I you wanted it. me to slate my history, loved too. It. Let me just sweep up the casting room a little bit before I go. It's the work that I always put into the dog, Joe. I know what you're doing. I know this is a test. This is... Isn't it? This is just... Isn't it? You don't want me to read the lines until I've proven that I can do it's... what you want. I've read this riddle before. I will be the dog. I'll get on all fours. It's a car wash movie. It's a comedy. (laughs) Now, can I read the line? (sighs) Read the line. Car's filthy. Okay, thank you. So. I'm non-union. After a while, celebrities start seeking him out for training in L.A. In 1983, Sean Connery is prepping for a James Bond movie, and... He goes, I found the perfect trainer. He goes to Stephen for training. Sean Connery has a little bit of a background in martial arts. So Connery yeah, well, against his wife. <laughs> Connery said he's getting a bit cocky. He did a move. He put a hand near Stephen's face, who reacted, and he ends up breaking Connery's wrist. He broke my wrist in two different places. There it is. Another of That's right. Another of Stevens' dojo clients was considered to be the most... But thankfully, I got his hand trapped inside of all my chest hair, and he was unable to break free. Ugh. Wildly was unnecessary. That's right. It was like a slip-and-slide jungle. Okay. Uh, oh, I caught the part. <laughs> Another of Stevens' dojo clients was considered to be the most powerful man in Hollywood at the time, head of CAA, Michael Ovitz. Ovitz okay. had been introduced uh, by James Coburn. So I don't have an Ovitz impression, FYI. Yeah. So Steve is now getting some media attention, and the LA Times interviews him and asks him about action heroes of the time, and he is happy to share his disdain. Of Chuck Norris, he said, quote, I can't stand his movies. I can't watch them. Just because he's a movie star doesn't mean he's a great martial artist. Now, just so we're aware... More like Suck Boris. It's just so we're aware, Chuck Norris is actually a great martial artist. He's the real right. deal. Yeah. So. Yeah, he was in, I think he's in Enter the Dragon. Yes. He's definitely in yeah, one yeah, of the Bruce Lee films. Yeah. Um, so, Stephen Meade. And now he does total body infomercials with Christy Brinkley. Does he really? 
Wow. Oh, dude, you've never seen the home no. gym total body? No. Yeah, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is apparently quite a psychopath. He, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the yeah. full-on weirdo. So, yeah. Stephen uh, meets and marries actress Adrienne LaRussell in 1984. Can I? Yes, go ahead. Sorry, you have from the press corps. Uh Yes, some of us were remembering that he was married in Japan still. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. And uh, can I follow up? Yes. Uh, just the keep it at real times follow up question. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, yes. Also, um, so and then you said he was marrying someone else. He yep. married someone else. He, uh, yes, he's right. now gotten married to actress Adrian LaRusso. So he's. Yes. A follow, follow up, up keeping it real times. Uh, yes. Um, so that would be two marriages, which I'm just doing some quick math here. Yes. Is not uh, how it works if correct. memory serves. That's correct. That's not normally how it's done. Uh -huh. Keeping it real times, just real quick. Yep. Uh, so that's a problem. It is. Yes, it's a problem. It's uh, illegal and wrong. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. I'm just going to get that in the old notey book. So uh, he's married twice. Uh, right after he marries Adrian LaRussell, uh, LaRuss LaRussa, he uh, sees the movie Woman in Red and becomes obsessed with actress Kelly LeBrock. He told a friend, quote, she is my destiny. Now, she's in Japan doing a modeling job for Vogue, and so he flies there. Damn it, I already have a wife there. <laughs> he flies there to woo her. He goes to woo her? Also to visit his family, but he flies there to hey, woo her. Hey, good to see you. Hey, look, you kids are huge now. Holy shit. <laughs> your kids are old. Anyway, I'm here on business. Gotta go. What business? I'm meeting the woman of my dreams. But mommy. Later. Mommy. Huh? Mommy. Mommy's No, here. not mommy. Yeah, no, no, not mommy. But By the way, you have a new mommy. What? In America now. You have a new mommy in America, but that's also not the mommy I'm after. I met the woman of my dreams in a movie, okay? What? I met a... Ugh, God, kids' are, brains are so tiny and dumb. I don't like either of the women I married. I'm getting a new one. That's how it goes and works kind of for me, Okay. Okay, thank you. Yes. God damn. Daddy? Eat your rice. Dad, it's a lot of commitment. I don't like, call me Stevie. Call me Uncle Steve. <sighs> there we go. That's the sigh I looked for. All right, you're broken well enough. <laughs> See you later. So, yeah, so he tracks down, uh, he tracks down I like down that he Kelly. couldn't wait for when she's in L.A. He tracks her down to a hotel in Tokyo, and um, now she says they've spoken on the phone a few times, but she's totally going to blow him off. Like, she's not into him. But she's she, like, who are you? Why are you barking? <laughs> he, he, <laughs> it sounds like he just pesters her until she's like, okay, I'll meet you for a drink, and then the sparks fly. Quote, he spoke fluent Japanese and could do acupuncture, chiropractics, sang, played guitar and drums, and could draw. He was an all-around Renaissance man. He sounds like Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins, is what he sounds like. <laughs> Just sitting. I mean, who unloads all those skills like a Swiss Army knife in one? You he know did. what I mean? Like, also, if you if you are like calling and I mean, look, stalking, probably not the best idea to be like. You know what? This guy who's stalking me. 
he actually can play guitar and put needles in my arm pretty well. <laughs> That's hot. I mean, it's a little, it's a little weird. So, it's a little creepy. So he starts a hot and heavy affair with Kelly the Brock. Now, I should also mention that he's married to two other women. <laughs> right. Yep. Right. So, so he's twice married and now found the woman of his dreams. So Adrian uh, immediately files for annulment. The Yakuza did this. She tells Spy Magazine, quote, not only did I not... If people don't know what Spy Magazine is, do you know what Spy Magazine was? Um, no. It's almost... People point out that like this article is weird that it was in Spy Magazine. Spy Magazine is like almost like a Mad Magazine type thing. It's like a like a, a political like Mad political Magazine commentary, social it. commentary sort of cartoon okay. thing. Like it's okay. Um, so she, uh, she told Spy Magazine because Spy Magazine does an article about um, uh, Steven Siegel. Not only did I not ask for anything, but I gave him money for months afterward just to get him out of my life. I can't say uh. very much, but I am afraid of Steven and his friends. Oh, man. That's like all these Netflix documentaries that are out now where it's just like you pay, you just, you're basically paying like a go away fee at yeah. some point to yeah. these people. I, I mean, it really is a shame that being such a shitbag man is rewarded on the highest levels in some cases, where it's like he's a piece of shit and he gets the girl that he wants, plus he got a severance package. Yeah, yeah. Look, things go pretty well for Steven for a while, so, but not at this point. He's still still struggling. He still doesn't have a career. He's just got the dojo, and it's it's going okay, right? So according to ex-CIA officer and friend Bob Strickland, in 1985, Stephen desperately needed money, so he arranged for a mercenary friend to steal LeBrock's Porsche for insurance money. What? I do. I do. I read that. I read this in the article so many times, and it kept confusing me. But but it it sounds too wackadoodle to be made up. Like he right. wouldn't make that up. Right. It's too like it's, weird. It's, it's like a terrible thing to do. So you. But there are people. It's like Trump does that to some extent. You know. Yeah. Like Trump will accidentally overlie and he'll be like, wait, what'd you do? He's like, I embezzled. You got to embezzle. And it's like, wait, no, dude, easy. Like, stop, stop riffing. So, okay. He tells, so he tells, uh, Stephen tells the LA Times he tried to catch the thief. And then I thought it was me. It was, then I was the guy. So you can imagine. And I grabbed myself by my own ponytail. It was nuts. Another friend Yakuza. around this. T- another friend around this time, when s- said when Steve was hard up for money, he would disappear for about a week, and then he'd come back with a bunch of cash. And one time he came back with a new car, and Stephen would then brag that he'd done a hit for the mob. What? I, again, these li- like they are like. It's. I mean, anyone who lies like in that way is just dangerous. Like, that is just, like it's definitely dangerous- bad. Dangerous waters to be mentally, you know, sort of hypothetically swimming in. So, in 1986, he and Miyako get divorced. So, he finally divorces his Japanese... For what? What is her deal? <laughs> God, she's so weird. What is her... Like, what? what's her problem? When you're married, and especially when you're married to someone in another country, you drift mm-hmm. apart, everybody marries someone else, you start fucking models. Look, 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 mm-hmm. look, look. Yeah. You said I do. 
Okay? Mm-hmm. That means you're going to have to sit through it when your husband physically leaves the country and leaves you and your children to eat nothing but brown rice. You're going to have to stand by your man when he marries another woman. And mm-hmm. when that marriage is annulled and he's in your home country to meet the woman of his dreams that he saw in Lady in Red, you got to stand up for that. Yeah. Times get tough. Especially you have kids. You got to think about like what two you got to think about these two kids that he's not thinking about. Yeah. So So once they were divorced, he's now single and now he can marry Kelly the Brock. Sure. Um now around this time Now he's now what what happens now? He finds out about Goldie Hawn and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> She's perfect. Well, around this time, he meets a guy named Jules Nasso in 1986. He meets him through LeBrock, and and him and Nasso just hit it off. Now, Nasso is a... I'm a dog, too. Nasso is a Staten Island pharmacist, and he became the owner of a company that provided pharmaceuticals to merchant ships. And what he says while he owned this company... He became a PA for Sergio Leone on Once Upon a Time in America, and that he got that because he was good friends with Tony Danzo, introduced him to Sergio. Yo, you got to meet my friend Sergio. <laughs> now He'll make you an extra in a movie, pharmacist. <laughs> now, when Tony Danzo was asked, he said, quote, I know Nazio, okay. but he's no friend of mine. Okay, so what we have, right? <laughs> Basically, I, do I, I'll bottom line it for me. Yeah, yeah. What we have is we have two total bullshitters yes. who just are like like two amazing jazz musicians just bullshitting totally. off of each other <laughs> and just like digging the bullshit that they're sort of spinning. Yeah. So he's just like, my story? Well, I opened a dojo and had to fight Yakuza's hearts in order to teach them that I was one of the best martial arts teachers in the world. Well, that's interesting. I'm actually a pharmacist, and um, I met Tony Danza, who made me a PA in a movie, and here we are, Kelly LeBrock's BFF. Whoa. Wow. I have shoes that allow me to jump into the sky. (laughs) I have samples of Saturn's rings. Wow, you're my BFF. We're so like each other. They they remind me of, do you remember in the uh, the Bundy takeover of the wild the wildlife um, refuge when uh, mm-hmm. there were like six guys sitting on a campfire all talking about their military experience and none of them had been in the military. <laughs> That's totally what yeah. this reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're good in the martial art uh, of yes anding. Yeah, yes, and I, then Tony Danza got me apart. Yeah, me too. I think more people lie about being... I broke Bruce Lee's neck. More people lie about being in the military... I invented Vicodin! <laughs> more people lie about being in the military or knowing martial arts than any other thing on Earth. Right. Yeah, that's probably very true. So, now, <laughs> Nassau worked for his uncle Julius, who was owner of Nassau Concrete, a company that was named in the extortion case of Fat Tony Salerno. Nasso and Stephen become very close, and Stephen moves next door to Nasso in Staten Island. Now, if you could see the picture of the houses, Nasso's house is huge, and Stephen's house is like a third of that size. Stephen's house looks like a normal suburban house. house. Nasso calls it his guest house. Uh Uh-huh. Now, remember, he's, he's married to... 
Kelly LeBrock at this point. And they're living in this guest house. Now, the house is across the street from the late Tony Bellotti's house, whose promotion to underboss led to his and Gambino crime boss Paul Castellano's killing in 1985. So that's who's across the street. And Kelly LeBrock's like, hey, I was... I'm just trying to be like a model actress. And he's like, don't worry, we live in the guest house. Do you want to hear me play the ukulele again? <laughs> no, it's really stupid at this point. I mean, Also, yeah. I don't think you know how to do acupuncture. Those are bar darts. Let me try. So Nassau's house has a large marble panther in the foyer, a lagoon-style pool, a giant peacock mural, and a giant purple and green master bedroom. One painting is of Diane Aiello's thumb. Aiello Aiello's a close friend. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, obviously, he's a close friend. You don't, you're not framing a stranger's thumb in your master bedroom. Look, I know that I have a frame painting of my buddy Luke's thumb here because he's a pal. I mean, it's just how it goes. You have my thumb at your house. I mean, it's just. I mean, how do you get there? How do you? How does I, it start? I, honestly, the only thing I can think is cocaine. The only I mean, thing I can be, think right? is cocaine gets you there. I mean, other it's it's worrying every way, but cocaine at least like allows me to know there's some sort of intoxicant that has led you down the path of framing Danny Aiello's thumb. <laughs> It was probably like a misunderstanding. Like one of the mob bosses was like, yeah, what we're going to do is for the killing, we're going to frame Danny Aiello's thumb for it. Got it. I'll put it in the master bedroom. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying uh, we'll put the whole thing on Danny Aiello's thumb. Yeah, I'll get a nice, like, uh, you know, sort of nice, uh, it'll look nice and fancy. It'll have good, like, little ox to it and stuff like that. Then we're going to frame his thumb. Yeah, I got it. I'll get a guy to paint it tomorrow. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, um, Danny, I want to show you something. I hope you don't find it strange, but I was just so taken with your right thumb. A boom. Look yeah, at that. That's great. That's really. That's yours. Yeah, you really got the you really got the likeness. I feel like I'm looking at my own thumb. It's manicured. You know I mean? Hey, well, you in many ways you are, Danny Aiello. I think I'm looking also, at it. great to meet. Great to meet you. It's great to meet you. You know what this you know what this wall needs? It needs a spicy meatball, huh? Nah, nah, get, get out of here. Leave. Leave the property. <laughs> this was a mistake. So, so Nasso is the best man at Stephen and Kelly's um, wedding. He's the godfather of their first two kids. So he's like in. Well, of he's Stephen's in. third and fourth. Right. Okay. Um, right. There for, yeah. So at the, at the time. There's a huge action movie craze. Sylvester Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Claude, right. uh, yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Jean Chuck Claude Norris. They're all very, very huge, right. cranking out huge movies. And sure. in 1986, the L.A. Times interviews Steven again, and they talk about his background and that Hollywood studios are interested in him uh, to make movies. He said Warner had offered him a film and scripts are currently being written. And remember, Ovitz is, Ovitz is his client at the dojo, he said. But Steven said he wasn't in this interview, but then said they, quote, loved each other and that I'm his guru. So Steven is on record saying that Ovitz from CAA is a client. Then he isn't in this interview, followed by, but 
I'm his guru. Yeah. <laughs> which is even larger. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so weird. So my can I pitch that what happened was when he said, no, no, he doesn't go to the dojo. The reporter looked confounded and confused. And so then he just goes, I'm just his guru. Yeah. And then the reporter That's goes, oh. what I think. And then we'll get into it. We're not going to get into it in this episode because, but we'll in get it. In this episode? Yeah. This is. There's dude, another one? It's, you could do six. <laughs> I can't believe what is happening right now. You could do, it's. I can't believe we're in part one of a Steven Seagal episode. I described the first part as it's boogie nights <laughs> up until that lady gets fucked in the driveway and then everything turns dark. So the first episode is the happy part of Boogie Nights, and the second episode will be the dark, <laughs> dark night of the what? soul. Boogie Nights goes to hell. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! So I don't know how I feel. So right. So so there's this. It's amazing weird... that before we record, it's amazing before we record these how we're just shooting the shit for ten minutes. And you're in your head, like, probably going, like, I'm about to talk about Steven Seagal. <laughs> yes, 100%. I almost said it to you. This is yeah. the first time I was went, I'm going to talk about Seagal. But it's oh Seagal. It's Seagal right now. It's Seagal. It is not Seagal. Sorry, so, I noticed you're sticking to that. All right, okay. So um, so he also made sure, he makes sure in this interview that he comes across as an authority in martial arts, which is what he's always doing. And anything right. related to it. At one point he says, quote, there is no such thing as a ninja. Anyone who says... He's a ninja is scamming you. It'd be like some jerk going to London and coming back to America and saying, I'm going to teach the secrets of knighthood. If you want to learn the ways of an assassin, become an agent of the CIA or KGB. But that's what he did. So, (laughs) but right. Also, you don't, (laughs) you don't just become an agent of the KGB. What are you talking about? (laughs) No, no. You just no. <laughs> yeah, you don't just become a C. You don't just go like you just. You don't do that. You just become. You're a CIA agent when you come back. Hey CIA, I would like to become an agent to become an assassin. Uh, no, we're not doing that. Okay. Hello, Hello KGB. Hello. Uh, I would like to become yes. an assassin. <laughs> oh well, uh, I, we're listening. Uh, we like what we hear so far. With your in the, your initiation of phone calls, seem to go pretty good for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really into being an assassin, and um, okay. I Check. talked that to the CIA, we and they were like, "We don't okay. have any room." So I'm who, well, uh, who's... the CIA, the CIA, what the CIA says not to. We actually liked it a lot. Yeah, okay. I mean, I figured you guys are really into assassins, and that's okay. Well, let's get, get your home address, and we'll send you a KGB diploma. Cool. And um. Yeah, that's uh, and then you're seriously KGB pretty much. Uh, okay, then I can. So, like, we'll kill send guys. you a special ring. Okay. Yeah, you kill whoever, and um, you know you can get married a few times if you okay. like. But uh, yeah, and then don't worry about like not uh, telling people you're in KGB. Like it's cool to sort of let oh. it slip. We're not like CIA where we're like keep it, you know, keep. Yeah, your they don't like it when this. you tell people. No, they're so like we like a humble. We actually teach course in humble break. Oh. So that you can uh, sort oh, great. of let people great. know you. This sounds like yeah, more my thing. Cage. Yeah, you're going to love yeah. it. It's yeah. going to be great. And uh, By the way, let's get your name before actually um, we get into it. It's heavy if it looks to this. So caught up in your story so quickly. Yeah, it's Steven um, Siegel. Steven Siegel, like bird? Okay. Yeah, like the bird. You great. say like the bird. 
Life the bird, great. Uh-huh. Okay, well, welcome to KGB. Thank you. Um, yeah, you call this number, any questions? And uh, yeah, again, this, let's listen. If you have any friends who want to be KGB, just have them call the 800 number. Too. Okay. It's like super straightforward. Okay, bye, Steven. All right, Ca-ca! thank you. <laughs> Take care, baby. Right. Oh, wait, do you have a friend who has Danny Aiello? Do you have a friend who has Danny Aiello thumb picture? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, bye. Thank you. So, Ovitz arranges for Steven to show off his martial arts skills at Warner Brothers. Because he sure. really wants Steven to make a movie with Warner, so much so that he offers up his biggest director for the Lethal Weapon sequel if Warner will make a, a sequel film. So, he's, he's, literally, he's literally undermining one client to get a film deal for Steven Siegel. Steven. Sure. Okay. So Steven, sure. so he goes there and he, and he demonstrates his talents for the Warner exec execs who are like sitting on, I, they maybe came to his dojo, but they're like sitting on the floor and, um, they probably took their shoes off and they were probably like, wow, it's so official. Our shoes are hundred percent. This guy must know what he's doing. Yeah. And they are crazy impressed. Warner brothers wow. boss, Terry Semmel says, quote, it was quite miraculous. With just a toss of his hand, Steven would send the other guy flying. Surely there's no way that Steven had talked to the person in the dojo before and was like, hey, let's throw a little stage combat into this. If I throw you, you really go flying. Like this guy, he probably just yanked some dude off the street who was selling like furniture or something. No. You know, or maybe just some guy who was out looking for a place to buy some food. No. And then he brought him in and just launched him. Just some random. He he brought in other martial arts guys. Mike Makita, Mm. who was part of the demonstration, Mm. said, quote, Mm. I still can't believe those guys at Warner's didn't know it was a rehearsed demonstration. Siegel could not toss me or anyone else in the air unless we were in on it. So it's just yeah. choreographed. And they were like, wow. Yeah, they're like, they're like, like, they're children. like a circus troupe. Yeah. <laughs> There's never yeah. been. I mean, again, that's, but honestly, that's why I've always said uh, the people at Warner Brothers really know martial arts better than anyone. A- I mean, absolutely. They, that's, that's, what they're, that's what they've been trained to do. I mean, it I can just picture them being like, wow, I just can't believe how far he threw that guy. <laughs> We have no questions. Let's break up the Lethal Weapon franchise. Put this guy in a movie. We'll call it Tossum Jackson. He's the Tossum guy. But doesn't this, like, isn't this the perfect way to describe studio execs? Yeah, and and Hollywood. Just like like the the empty-headed at the apex just being like, oh, my God, he threw somebody. (laughs) Wowie, wowie. So after this, they do a screen test. And Steven is terrible. He had like a high squeaky voice. Quote, hello. He did not come across well on screen. So Ovitz. And then, of course, I'll ring the I'll hit the gong. And I'm a dog man. And the movie is called Dog Dog. Ah, when I get nervous, sometimes my voice gets high. And I will call the movie Dog Man Throweth. Don't fuck with me, buddy. I'll rip your head yeah. off. Okay, but I'm just the shopkeeper. I'm not sure. Is your voice okay? My voice is fine, mister. I'm going to kick your fucking ass. You so, are you, he sounds like he has altitude issues. Are you I'm, okay? I'm going to kick your fucking ass, buddy. You're going to fucking okay. get it. 
I'm gonna kill uh, you. And then he like gra- grabs the guy. And he's like, fall, fall over, fall over, fall over hard, fall over hard. So Ovitz goes back to Warner and offers the director for Lethal Weapon two, but not not just saying you can have him this time, but saying. I'll give him to you for the same amount as he did the first movie. So he's literally now undermining his client who had one of the biggest, most successful movies in Hollywood, who now should get a massive director's bump fee. And he's saying you can have him for the same amount. Here's what I'm going to offer you. Everything that Lethal Weapon offered for the first movie Uh without that security. And this guy has a voice issue we're learning. Shouldn't but I get a raise? You gotta see him throw his friends, huh? Shouldn't I get a raise? Huh? The f- I did the first movie. It was super what successful. What did you say? I did the yeah. first movie and it was very uh-huh. successful. And now I should get a raise. You can get I more money. Keep, you keep breaking up even though we're in person. It keeps, you're, it keeps crackling. So what you get here is you get Steven, Steven Seagull, the most dangerous of the seabirds. And you get him, and then after that, um, you get the same amount, but there's no points or back end. And again, what you're with Lethal Weapon, people are going to turn out to see that second one. This offers you the chance to prove yourself again. Okay, so no, he's not. He's not. What did he's, you say there? You're breaking up a bunch. He's not giving Seagal. He's not giving a Seagal movie to the director. He's literally just giving the studio a deal on the director, so they'll give Seagal a movie. Oh right. Okay. Right. Sorry. Right. It's but fine. It's still, but the director is getting the same amount as he would. for The director's the, the, getting totally right. fucked over something that has nothing yeah. to do with him at all. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Completely fucked. Okay. Right. So. So they do it. Um, he undermines his own client to get unknown Steven Seagal a movie deal. So who was the who was the director? Was it Donner? <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth. You know from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way,
fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. So, Stephen then films his first movie, Above the Law. At this point, he has a major studio film, a mega agent, if not the biggest agent in Hollywood, a high PR, a high profile PR firm, and a model seven wives, star wife. Right. right? So he's just yes. like this. So is, he's doing. Yeah. I mean, he's living like I mean, that is a uh, established actor lifestyle. Yeah. You'd expect. Yeah. But it's just crazy, though, that because it, it's come from nothing. But, you know. Right. That, that's what happens. So a foundation anyway. of fibs. So Stephen, he films a movie. Um, the L.A. Times comes to interview him again about his sudden rise. In this in this article, the president of Imagine Films called Stephen, quote, the coolest person I've ever seen. Stephen has the most amazing presence you've ever seen. The L.A. And we at Imagine believe in creative memories. <laughs> they- we Imagine loves Stephen because that's all the guy does. I mean, I've been around this so many times when all of a sudden everyone in Hollywood just decides that someone is awesome and you're like, and they all talk oh, yeah. about it, like all those studio and agents and everyone's like, he's just amazing. And you're like, it's not that yeah. good. Um, or, or when, or yeah, or they're, they're like talking about like, I mean, we're just looking for the next this guy. Yeah. And you're like this, but you like shut this guy out your whole. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The L.A. Times, quote, but what really grabs your attention is his voice. He speaks with a hushed conspiratorial purr as if he were worried that a tiny man hidden under the floorboards might be taping the conversation. So what what that is not a listen. First of all, okay, that is not what acting is. Acting is not who can talk like they live in fear of a floorboard man most. That, like, acting is the naturalization of fiction. It's not, you gotta see this guy pretend. It sounds like he thinks someone is under the floor. He's, he's amazing. And by the way, you've never heard a human purr like this. This guy's like got, a he's a, what well, he's basic, he's like very much like a talking cat, uh-huh. and he's a, an afraid cat. He's a cat who talks. But he always, the reason why he's afraid is he thinks there's someone that's under the floor. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, uh, that's right. I'm Steven Seagal. I think someone might be under our carpet. Uh. So, so what has clearly transpired here is that he did a screen test. He had a high, weird voice. Very squeaky. And then right. he, he changed himself so he talked differently. And that's why Steven... Yeah. Someone Seagal eventually gave him the note way. of like, hey, Stephen, just whisper. Because you, since you can't act, we're going to try to whisper our way through this one. Yeah. Okay. That's what All happened. Right. Uh, so the interview covered his time in Japan with a new added twist. Hmm. Quote, while teaching there, Seagal discovered that his classes were populated with an unusual assortment of students. Students who, as he put it, worked for a particular agency, the Central Intelligence Agency. Stephen elaborated, quote, these guys were my students. They saw my abilities, both with martial arts and with the language. My CIA godfather told me they'd never heard any American speak Japanese so well. I would say I was a prime candidate to be recruited. 
My I mean, CIA <laughs> godfather. It is. It's like what he needs is a friend. He can like kind of workshop these with a little bit because you don't just want to straight up come out and be like, yeah, we quickly noticed that in the dojo that I'm lying about running, there were mostly CIA agents and these CIA agents, these highly trained agents were like shocked at a man who was fluent in a foreign language. I mean, can you imagine? Wow. I've ne- I have never heard an American speak Japanese this well. The idea he just, that he is Steven like they're basically like in a dojo with the martial artist that I'm air quoting and they're walking away going, man, nobody's spoken Japanese like that ever. Holy shit, that guy can fight and speak Japanese. I've never seen anyone throw someone so far while being one of the world's leading linguists. <laughs> Somebody get our CIA godfather down here. I, I'll tell you what. If this dog can fetch, sign him up. <laughs> okay, so he explained that a scene in Above the Law that was of a spy being injected with the truth serum was something that had actually Dave, happened. Don't. <laughs> Not to him, that's for sure. Nobody ever got a truth serum in this guy. Because then he'd be like, actually, I lied to my first wife, and the, she ran the dojo. And I lied about, I can't even play an instrument. I just had a tape recorder in my butt crack, and then I just pretend to move my fingers on the fret. I don't know acupuncture. I just kind of dipped it into Kelly's skin. Then I lied about this guy from the CIA. Please don't inject me with any more from CAA. I said that I was, he was training him, but I really wasn't. Somehow I got a movie when I faked through all my buddies. And then I'm lying to you right now about how I speak Japanese fluently. I only know five words. So he's saying he injected someone with a truth serum? Or he was there when it happened. I was there when... And then also, it was the same day we bought Love Potion number nine. Shh, there's someone in the floorboards. He also said he had been involved when the Shah was overthrown in Iran. Look, I don't want to get into too much of what I did, but let's just say um, nobody could overthrow the Shah as far as I could. Um... Which, you know, had just happened, and so it was a big deal, right? Um, Right. He was overthrown in 1979, so, of course, whatever. Um, But he said, (laughs) quote, We helped set up safe houses in London and Paris so the Shah and his family could flee the country. They did What are you talking about? Like, they needed safe houses (laughs) in London and fucking Paris? You know what? You know what? You know what his book title should be? Ponytails. <laughs> he also said they helped get his family and him out of Iran. Quote, one of the Shah's nephews wouldn't leave, so he had to hit him over the head and try to take him unconscious. But he resisted then- on going free, and he left, and he got shot in the back of the head. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they are such uh, bad lies. They are uh, so fucking bad. <laughs> he said it's like a cartoon. He's hitting a guy over the head so they can take him unconscious. So like, then we put a pian- we put a piano hanging from wire above a building <laughs> and we cut the cord, but it went through the guy and he snuck through the wires and we cut him into eighteen pieces and then he reformed like Wile E. Coyote and then right after that a guy shot him in the back of the head. <laughs> That's so, so incredible. 
You've heard it a million times. Steven said he also did security work for Bishop Desmond Tutu and the late Egyptian president Anwar Sadat. He had also worked yep. for the White House. Quote, and yeah, when... so let's just walk through it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Quote, and when they checked up on me, they couldn't find any data on me. Then they asked the agency who refused to confirm or deny who works for them. Wait, but he's, I mean, it's getting like, it's, there's a lot, he's stacking lies like a Jenga pyramid. Like, things are <laughs> shaky right now. You, you work for everybody, and then the CIA, the White House asked the CIA if he ever worked for him, and they're, uh, no. We can't We're tell not, you. Uh, We'd have to kill you, White House. You We'd have to kill you, White House. Sorry about that. Right now, look, all we'll confirm is that right now, Stephen had to knock the Shah out to get him out of Iran. <laughs> That's all we and can then, tell you. And CIA agents, I mean, not that I know, if they don't go bragging around in the press about what they've done, usually because yeah, they fucked no, up. Yeah, no, it's but, certainly... Uh, well, no, I mean, once they leave, once they leave, they go to, like, CNN or something. But, um, but yeah, no, it's... I mean, he's kind of... But in a way, the CIA lie is kind of brilliant because it's like... right. They can't. You're asking the CIA to come out and be like, "Yeah, no, we don't know who Steven Seagal is." Okay, and they're not, they're not going to do that. And it's Steven Seagal, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's like, sorry, Steven Seagal. I keep forgetting. So sorry. Um, but also, they're the ones who technically were like filling his classes at Japan. It's really, I mean, it's just like you just again. I mean, it's it's Trumpy in the way that it's like yes. just map it out a little bit first. It's incredibly Trumpy. You're absolutely correct. And his lies are so crazy and over the top that you're like is it true because this is crazy yeah, that someone's saying this it's big well uh look i'm not gonna get into it but i actually help construct the pyramids <laughs> <laughs> well who would say that if it wasn't real yeah it's just like hey, there's no way uh, so and by the way it's hard to prove so to confirm these hard stories to, to confirm these okay. stories he gives the L.A. Times a mercenary's phone number who he can call and confirm his story. I also want to say, back then, <clears throat> everybody called mercenaries um, soldiers of fortune. It was this creepy, weird thing that everybody did in the 80s to justify what mercenaries were. And right. they were sort of held up on this pedestal in America it was very right. creepy and weird, it's but like, everywhere I read about this in the 80s, it all says soldier of fortune. You're like, yeah, that's a mercenary. Right. So, right, um, yeah. like, <clears throat> it's like what I mean, it's basically what we, what the United States does with like war terms now. Yeah. Where it's just like, yeah, under so, attack, but we're like democratizing. Right. When we so do. he gets to this mercenary's phone number to confirm a story and, and five, 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 <laughs> five, 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 five. Stephen gives him only his code name, Carol. So okay, you're gonna want to call Carol. Who she's uh, is, who's Carol? She's is, she's a mer she's the mercenary who will corroborate everything that I've said. A, it's actually a he. It's a he. Carol's a man, first of all, and second of all, Carol has my number. So call my number and ask for Carol. And Carol sounds a lot like uh, I do. So Call Carol, it right now. Carol. I'm going to go home. So the LA Times reporter calls Carol, and they go back for a little, Hello. back and forth for a little bit, and then they meet. Sorry, we've been playing phone tag. Things are crazy in the Merce business now. Hello. 
So it turns out to be a well-known mercenary named Gary Goldman. Uh, and when I say well-known, we had this guy, Bo Gritz, and he went to try to through, I think it was with Ross Perot's help. They tried to go like get, <laughs> to like get POWs at Aleos, and he was part of that whole thing. So he has a high profile. So okay. <clears throat> a well-known mercenary who is friends and in business with Steven Seagal, Gary Goldman. That's who it turns out to be. So someone who is invested in yes. Steven doing well. Yes. So Goldman says Steven is indeed ex-CIA, and they had gone on several missions together. Okay. So he tells the LA Times that, so it's verified. Now, he says uh, Stephen and Goldman had met in Japan, and when Stephen starts making headway in films, he goes into business with Goldman, and they begin a production company together, but Stephen doesn't want to call it Siegel Goldman Productions because he thought it sounded like two Jews in the garment business. Okay. Now around well, this, well, it's also Seagull, you know, <clears throat> Seagull, Seagull. Around this time, Stephen goes to an art exhibit, and there he saw a Chagall, oh and he God, comes back like, from good. the art exhibit. And says from way, now on, his name will be pronounced Stephen Siegel. I'm Seagal. no longer Sorry, a, I'm no longer a uh, like an ocean rat bird. Now it's Seagal. That just came to me, and it's always been like that. The CIA changed my code name was Siegel because of how much stuff I could store in my mouth, and if I ate Altoids, I'd explode. It's it's so fucking crazy. <laughs> so. Now his name is Steven Seagal. You're Seagal. having trouble making the Seagal. adjustment. Steven Seagal. Jesus, Seagal. I am too. Yeah, it's Steven hard. Seagal. It's hard to make the change. Right. Yeah. So above the law is released in 19. It would have been great if he went to like an Andy Warhol exhibit. It's actually Stephen Warhol. <laughs> so, um, above the law released in 1988. It's directed by a future Academy Award nominee. Stephen plays an ex Aikido instructor. Ex-CIA Vietnam vet, ex-Chicago vice sergeant turned vigilante. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, very close to Stephen's reality. Very exactly. I it's mean, his world. The, well, it's, the movie. It, yeah. is, it is loosely supposed to be based on who he is. Yes. Right. So the film makes... Stephen, again, on that take, you were talking. We're not after that. Can you go back to sort of a hushed whisper? That was what was, was I really talking? Okay, I'll go back to... Uh, yeah. Hey. There's probably... Hey. The writer's probably on set just like, I mean, how many more lines do we have to cut for this guy? <laughs> so, film makes almost $19 million at the box office, enough to start a franchise. Uh, actually, it made $150 billion. So, American Black Belt m magazine... And uh, sorry, American black belt and martial arts actor Bob Wall was not happy with Stephen trashing both Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee and martial arts in America in general. Right. So after seeing Above the Law, Wall said, quote, all he's got is mouth. If Seagal were one tenth of the martial artist he says he is, he would had developed a proper attitude. When Stephen was asked about this by Black Belt Magazine, he denied talking trash about Chuck Norris. Quote, I don't fight in print. If Mr. Wall has anything bad to say about me, let him come say it to my face. Now, he did 
talk shit about Chuck Norris. I've seen it. I've read the fucking article, the LA Times, but now he's just saying he didn't. Well, but also, if he wants yeah, to fight, let's so. fight. So around this time, Stephen also... Again, <clears throat> I mean, uh, another... I mean, not a, a lot of politicians do it, but just Trump comes to mind. Like, yes. I never said that. No, here it is. Uh, I'll kick his ass. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so he starts telling people around this time that he is also an ex-Navy SEAL. Uh, I should point out, when I was working for the CIA, I was also part-time sealing. I did some seal work also on the side. I did a lot side of seal, seal stuff, too. I was a side seal... The ma- I was, I was basically lead seal, and then I was also the CIA while I was working for the White House with my harem right. of seven wives, and right. I had a dojo. Plus, I was a, n- a painter. So, he, in in late 1988, this former mercenary takes St- Stephen Goldman and another ex-military guy. So a different mercenary, okay? To, to look for treasure near Barbados. He's like a treasure hunter guy. He's like, let's go on this trip. I'm going to go. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, just like. It's so insane. Uh-huh. Okay. It's insane. Yeah, for sure. Like Kelly, I mean, is, at what point is Kelly LeBrock like, oh, fuck. Oh, she's way into oh, fuck by now. I mean, it's just okay. straight up. He's abusive to Kelly LeBrock. Like, it's bad marriage. Oh. Um, so it's difficult, it's difficult to get in the Zodiac because there's very rough surf. So they're trying to get off the, off the beach into the Zodiac. Um, what is the Zodiac? I don't even know. It's like a Zodiac is one of those, um, low fast boats with the, uh, motor on the back. Um, they almost look like they're inflatable type of boat, but they're really strong. Like it kind of looks like that. Yeah. Pontoony kind of. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Stephen was probably like, we don't need a motor. I'll just hold on to the back and kick. <laughs> so, I mean, a Zodiac is what Navy SEALs will attack in. Like, it's it's that kind right. of boat. Okay, it's a fast... Right. Know, right, so... Right. Goldman quote, he started screaming and panicking and was sure he was going to die and all that crap. <laughs> so, they have to help Stephen onto the Zodiac... One man uh, pulled him up by his hair while another pushed his ass uh, from behind to get him on board. Uh, 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 <laughs> Why'd you grab my hair? Why'd you grab my hair? So that day, Goldman discovered Stephen could not read a compass or a map. And he realized there was no way he had ever done any covert mission and was not a ex-Navy SEAL. Uh-huh, okay, right. right. Because he was crying when he got into the boat and didn't know how to swim or read a compass. That's right. It's pointing north, so we should probably go east a little bit. So... What uh, does the end stand for on this weird watch? <laughs> this watch is broken. This Three o'clock is, is just an... This watch is broken. Three o'clock is just an E. The three's backwards. So I threw that broken watch into the ocean, you uh, you guys. So we're better <laughs> off. Now we can figure it out. I'm John F. Kennedy. What? I'm John F. Kennedy. He's dead. Yeah, he was dead, and then I became him. It happened in 1930. In what? Japan. What? <laughs> None I'm of telling that. you the truth. I was None of- listen. John F. Kennedy died, and then I became him in 1930. And then ever since then, I've been John F. Kennedy 
combined with a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I have the DNA of both inside of me. He died in 63. I don't have any blood in my... I died in 63, and then I came back. So no, it was a good interview. Thank you very much. Do you have any questions nope. about uh, nope. anything else that I... All can... good. Wonderful. So Stephen had been working on a screenplay with Goldman for about a year, and then they had a falling uh-huh. out, mostly over writing credits. Yeah. He was like, what are you <laughs> talking about? I'm F. Scott Fitzgerald, goddammit. <laughs> so, so after they fall out, Goldman's angry, and he writes a letter to the writer of that L.A. Times article where he confirmed everything. Oh, yeah, and, where he was Carol. And he said he had been lying about it, about doing missions with uh, Seagal, and he retracted everything, saying all of Stephen's stories about being in the CIA are lies. Quote, the plain truth of the matter is that Seagal was and is a gutless coward who was trying to convert the heroic deeds of those brave men into a personal history of himself. <clears throat> I, I, I mean, which I'm, I'm not surprised, but it's also like, yeah, well, dude, you're part of the gutless issue here, too. Buddy. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like. You, no, you, you just lied so you could work on a screenplay yeah. with a guy. And now it's not happening. Yeah. So. And then you're realizing, like, Stephen is just like, why is it? What does INT stand for again? Interior. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, let's uh, start again. Now, I'll say this. Steven... And most, most journalists, by the way, you're supposed to have two yeah, sources. Yeah, 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 and yeah. the subject of the article is not supposed to be one of them. I mean, the article was definitely like, we don't know if this is true, but, you know. Right. So, now, Stephen did... He did hang around military spook types, right? One guy was named Robert Strickland. Um, this is something Spy Magazine reported. They had met in Japan while Strickland was in the CIA, and Stephen invited Strickland to the set of the latest movie he's working on right now, and he pulls out a profile he had a private investigator put together on Goldman, right? So he's got a Goldman okay. file. So Right. And Strickland is already like, okay, this is really over the top for a screen play credit dispute. Like, this is a lot. Look, he threw out his phone book. <laughs> this guy's trash. So... Stephen says, quote, I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd oh, like no. you to kill Gary Goldman. Wow. Okie dokie. Uh, that's lunch. Uh, you know, the WGA has a credits dispute system set up. I don't want to. I, I hate calling those numbers. They put you on hold. Please just kill him. <laughs> Thank you. It would mean the world to me if you would kill Goldman. I don't, yeah. He's a liar. Kill Carol. Please. Maybe I'm not asking properly. He no, needs to are. die it, because our screenplay fell apart. <sighs> That's you not usually saying? why Kill him. people do it. Snap his neck. Kill him. I... Uh, what, what am I... Please kill his brain. Shoot his brain. Put no, a... I just don't want Shock to. his brain to death. No. Break his neck like I did. In, have I'm you not... seen Above the Law? Uh, yeah, that wasn't real. Million. That's a movie, so... Yeah, that was a documentary we filmed about a year ago. Was it? Uh, I didn't actually even... Most of that was filmed with hidden cameras. I didn't even know about a lot of it. So the thing I'm asking you to do is to go... Uh, do you have a question? No, you said that the movie you well filmed with... was hidden cameras? 
Yeah, they didn't. The whole thing took about two days to shoot, and they were just following me on an average two days. First of all, I did not know I was being filmed for that, but it is a documentary on my life. It's, it's not a documentary. It is a hundred percent a documentary. It's a it's a found footage doco, basically. It's and um, they fi- they filmed it by putting cameras in tissue boxes. Everywhere I went, there was su- it was a tissue box, and I didn't oh. even realize why there would be so many of them. But then what they did was, I guess they gave all the tissue box footage to an editor, and he pieced it together. And then they had a film, and they came to me, and they said, if you want to be a Hollywood movie star, we've got the movie. So then I met Carol, <laughs> who's um, yeah, yeah, a yeah. mercenary. Yeah, sure. Right. So you'll kill him? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. All right. Thank you. And by the way, I'll pay you in Juicy Fruit. <laughs> so, so Stephen shows Strickland 50 grand in cash, and Strickland's like, I'm not, I'm not killing Goldman. Never seen Never seen that much. Steven is then like, go find someone who will do it. And ask around, ask anyone. Now, Strickland is in a weird place because he doesn't want to end the relationship because Steven's already given him 50000 of an advance on a $250,000 deal for his life story. And uh-huh. so S- Steven continues over like the next year or so to ask Strickland to kill Goldman for just over and over and over again. And hey, tell Goldman, Steven, what are you doing? Will you kill Goldman? <laughs> All right, talk to you tomorrow. Until Goldman finally moves to the Philippines in early 1990, and then it finally goes away. All right. Well, we now, did it. We killed him. Stephen's father dies in 1990. Stephen did not go to the funeral. We don't know what was up there. Um, he keeps sure. making. He keeps making movies. He makes Hard to Kill uh, in 1990, and then Mark for Again, Death. Again, a documentary. His first three films gross over $200 million. So he's a legit Jesus movie Christ. guy. Christ. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when you think, I mean, he was a huge action star. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, he's, he's, yeah, he's top tier. He's top, top five, totally top, top tier. four, whatever. Yeah. So NASA started working as a producer on Marked for Death, which began a long time producing collaboration between the two. Okay. Strickland is in his trailer one day while he's filming uh, his next movie in late 1990. And Steven has four personal assistants, all women. Oh, boy. And on this day, one is in the bathroom brushing her teeth, and Steven yells for her. And she comes out, but she's still got the brush in her mouth and the toothpaste, right? And Steven says, quote, Gee, Rayanne, you look like that when I come in your mouth. Oh, fucking A. Oh my god! I, I mean, oh, it's like even for Hollywood shitbags, that is a graphic. Like I mean, there's no, yeah, like there's no insinuation. No, you know what I mean. I'm not saying tiptoeing around it is the right move, but my god. So that movie, Out for Justice, came out in April 1991 and made $40 million. The next, and by the way, these are all U.S. box office. Well, he makes more Did that woman keep working for him? The next month, all four of Steven's assistants and another woman quit because of sexual harassment. Three filed, okay. uh, three threatened to file sexual harassment charges, and then two of them were paid 50000 to keep quiet. Also, will you kill Goldman? <laughs> <laughs> so he's just got fifty thousand dollar briefcases like 
he's carrying them around, just sort of like uh, with this, one of these brief. That my currency is briefcase. I mean, and he's still married <laughs> to Kelly LeBrock. Yes, he's still married to Kelly LeBrock. They so have three sexually kids. Sexually harassing altogether. his four. Oh my God! So he's got four or five assistants, all yeah. women, who he's sexually harassing. Yes. While married, with a family, while fabricating his entire resume. He, he is 100% a guy who, if he is in a position of power, even if it's slight, over a woman, will sexually harass her from the moment she comes in the room. 100%. Right. Um, so, so then that year, writer Alan Richmond writes a story in GQ that just tears Stephen apart, and Stephen's very much not happy about this. Give so him the, a briefcase. The next month, um, a, an ex-CI agent is told by a mutual friend that Stephen has some security worries and he wants to meet with him. So he flies him out to Staten Island and the ex-CIA guy meets with Stephen and Nasso. So Stephen tells the agent that he had also worked for the CIA, which the agent knows is fucking bullshit because he'd already checked him out before he came. Right. And Stephen's like just talking CIA shit that's clearly a lie to an ex-CIA agent. And the guy's like, this like is all. Like when we point to each other's <laughs> eyes, that means watch. And then we'll point to where we're looking for. And that means go towards that. So I know a lot of the shorthand stuff. A lot of people don't understand that I invented the CIA. And that it's actually pronounced Jaya. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen starts talking about this writer, Alan Richmond. And he keeps referring to him as a fag. Now, Richmond is totally straight. He's not gay. But Stephen is convinced he's gay. And he says he wants to set up Richmond so he would be in the back of a car having sex with another dude. And then the CIA agent would photograph them. And then he could use that to ruin his career. So he... Basically, he's like setting up just a writer, a gay, a, yeah, but like a gay sting to yes, for it's a like, writer. It's who, like it's the fifties. Right. Like he's trying to set up some right, right. It's like out of L.A. Confidential, right? He's trying to set up a guy right. having sex in the back of a car to ruin his career, but the guy is not gay. And on top of that, right. I don't even know if it would ruin the career of a writer. Yeah, at this point, that's what I'm kind of like thinking. Like, I don't think it's that right. a thing, right? Yeah. So the, the agent yeah. is like, I'm not going to do that. But this is a CIA tactic we used all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen goes on to his next I mean, idea. he really is like, just like, the last couple details, the come in the mouth, and then this, I mean, it, like, it's like not, yeah. it again, it does show the activation of someone who should not be in any authoritative position. Correct. You know. There, there, were, there were plenty of flags on this guy before he got to this right. position of power. Plenty of right. flags yes, that like, Hollywood yeah. uh, not only did not care about, but pushed him forward. Yes, we understand, but have you seen him throw a man that's his friend? <laughs> he goes so far. <laughs> He's so great. Have you seen him slap another guy on a stage at a live show? Oh, you've got to see him. We saved the Shah. <laughs> this man single-handed. When he was working part-time as Desmond Tutu's head of security, 
while working as a CIA Navy SEAL, part-timing over at the White House, and shooting the documentary <laughs> Above the Law. So Stephen goes on to his next uh, idea after this the, uh, XCA agent passes on the gay So sting. he's probably got like a little dumb, like he's got a dumb list, and the guy's like, no. And he's like, no. all right, number two. You dress up like a boar <laughs> and live in his woods. And when he goes out to get the paper, you boar stab him through the heart. Uh, and so I'll give you one of these briefcases for $50,000. Yeah, okay. I basically I basically run deal or no deal. So each one of these briefcases <laughs> has fifty grand in it. And that's yeah. and you go you pick it. Okay. I'll take curtain number one. Yeah. Uh it's fifty grand. Okay. Shocker. All right. Yeah. There you go. Let's do it. All right. So he he th- he tells the guy he thinks an enemy fr- that he had from his days in Asia is going to try to assassinate him. While he's doing the the ribbon cutting of a new restaurant he's opening in Chicago. Look, Yakuza hates Yakuza. There's nothing Yakuza hates more than a Benigans. <laughs> so when I'm ribbon cutting at the first West Coast Benigans, I need someone there because they're going to try to obviously kill me. And if and to answer the question before you ask it, obviously I could stop the assassination by grabbing the bullet out of the air, but sure. that's in the screenplay that I'm currently shooting. I just don't want to squander that at an event. I want to make some money off of that so I can keep funding my briefcase bribery side. Oh, my God. So he, he explains this to the agent, and the CIA agent starts talking about security. How he'd handle security. CIA? What? I thought you were a CIA agent. And so, yeah, so Stephen, that is not what Stephen wants to hear. And Stephen says, quote, you mean you wouldn't whack him? And the CIA agent's like, no, I'm not going to whack him for you. Like, it's a, <laughs> what are you talking about? But, but how does it work? I mean, I know how it works, but how does it work? You tell me. I'm the head of the CIA currently, but you didn't know that. So that's it. Nothing, the CIA agent is not where he's like, I'm not ex agent. He's like, I'm not going to do anything with this guy. He's out of his fucking mind. So... You put poison in a derby hat and then tell him he's at a hat competition and get him to wear it. Okay. So let me think on that, yeah. but I'm going to go. I'm going to F- take 50, off. 50,000. Well, I have other pitches too. I think that one's great. I don't know if you get better now. I'm tell him uh, you're going to teach him how to swallow swords, but instead of swallowing it, you jam it through his body. Pretty good. No, that's a. Oh. No. Wait. No, great. I got it. No, no, shut up. No, 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 no. Let me talk. 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 Okay. We, we just leave McDonald's out of his house every day for the rest of his life. <laughs> you have any idea what eating that every day is going to do to a man's health? His yeah, cholesterol is going to be ridiculously high. One day, he will have to go to the doctor, and he will find that the McDonald's has been corroding his arteries. <laughs> I'll pay you 150 briefcases. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. For sure. Dress as a rabbi. (laughs) So his feud, his feud with Bob Wall is still going on. uh, And Black Belt Magazine keeps fanning the flames. So Black Belt Belt asks Stephen about Wall. And Stephen said Wall had low self-esteem. Quote, if you want me... Come to fight me to the death. <laughs> okay, look. 
It's pretty straightforward. If you talk shit about me, we enter a fire circle and we get to fight till we one of us dies. I don't talk to the press, but here's what I will say. The only thing I'll agree to is a death match. He's such a guy who he thinks this is yeah. what it's like, but everyone's like, no one says that, dude. Like it's not. Well, you know what I you know what it reminds me of is when that dude at a Biden rally was like, um, he goes, uh, he was like asking about Hunter Biden, and Joe Biden was like, "Hey, what do you want to fight me? Let's go! I'll do push-ups. <laughs> I'll do push-ups. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Wait, what? It seems like it's a bit of an irrational response. So, hey, Dave, response. I didn't like what you said the other day. I will eat your heart. <laughs> so, so Wall responds, and he puts together what he calls the Dirty Dozen, and they're a a group of twelve martial arts experts. And they're all to challenge Steven to a fight if they see him. Now, some yes. join up because Steven has a reputation for roughing up stuntmen at this point. And a lot of these guys work on movies. And okay. they also all note he has never proven himself competitively. He's never been in any nothing like that. Uh, I believe he won the Warner Brothers competition. Okay, that's totally fair. Yeah. So judo star Gene LaBelle is in the dozen, and he was working on Out for Justice as a stunt coordinator. And Stephen claimed, due to his training, that he was immune from being choked out. I mean, that is just... I Okay, it's a preposterous claim, okay? <laughs> I mean, you can't, like... I, you can't be... I, um, I got the... Um, the jab, so I'm immune to chokeouts. It's so dumb. It's I, the so dumb. The phrasing is bonkers. The phrase, like, you could be like, nobody can choke me out. I'm yeah. the best there is. Okay, that's a shit talk. Not true. I'm immune from being choked out. But that that's when you say he, he says Trumpian th- like things. It's like yeah. the words aren't right, and it just sounds yeah. dumb, but he thinks he's sounding smarter because he's using... Well, yeah, and it's like someone being like, I'm going to choke you out. Choke me out? You couldn't choke me out. The only person who'd ever choke out is you. I physically cannot be choked out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so LaBelle challenges him on the set, and Steven is like, I don't think your chokehold is effective, and I can get out of it. So they proceed to get into position, and he puts the chokehold on Steven, and Steven chokes him out. And, and sorry, then LaBelle Wait. chokes him out, and then Steven okay. shits his pants. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. No. No. Steve Oh now, my god. There Just are like a seagull. There are different versions of the story out there. Uh LaBelle, I'm, ha- I'm happy with the one I heard. The Bell's not a bragger, but when he was asked, he basically confirmed it in his own way. Um but Whatever happened, LaBelle definitely took out Steven. Like, it was definitely... Right. So... And by the way, it's... I mean, the reason why it's probably a little bit of a gray area is because nobody ever goes, I just shit my pants. Instead, Steven <laughs> probably got up and he was like, all right, let's take an equity 10. That's lunch. <laughs> Everyone, that's lunch. I'm going to do it in my trailer. By the way, um, if you see one of the assistants that I'm harassing, um, tell them I need new Hanes. You got to wash up, Daddy. All, all week... I am going to change my underwear every day. Not today, because there's no doo-doo in my dojo. But uh, 
potentially in the future there might be. Good choke out. All right, everyone. Let's all walk like we rode a horse all weekend while we leave, too. Let's nobody walk regular comfortably. Everyone walk like you got a barrel between your legs. All right. That's lunch. Now, Wall says Stephen and him also came face to face. Um, apparently, there were phone calls exchanged and like threats. And at one point, Stephen was like, I have a gun if you come at me. Um, Wall said, quote, when they finally got face to face, quote, I stood on his foot and placed my face gently in his face. And he said, if you want to fight me, come to my school. And I said, no, let's do it right here and now because I'm going to rip your head off and shit in your neck. And Stephen's knees went out well, and he I'm, started apologizing and crying. And that was the end of I, that. I'm shitting my pants. I'm shitting my pants. He just keeps shitting his pants. Well, if you take my head off and shit down my throat, I'm going to take your shit into my pants. How about that, Jack? There's definitely a reoccurring theme of when Steven's in a dangerous situation, he everyone is like he was scared shitless. That's definitely a thing that uh, comes up over and over again. Don't get don't talk like that. I'm gonna shit again. Ah! Alright, everyone that's lunch again. Sorry to take lunch so fast again. Now, Stephen continues to tell people about his time in the CIA. In December of 1991, he went on the Arsenio Hall show and told a story about a crazy operation from when he was in the CIA. And Strickland is watching, and Strickland is like, that's my story that happened in my fucking life, not Stephen. So Strickland is furious, and he calls Stephen and tells him to stop stealing stories from his life, and then if he did not, he would expose Stephen. And he called, and he left dozens of messages over months telling Stephen to stop, but Stephen keeps telling stories from Strickland's life. Jesus Christ. And so then, he's like, look, I'm filming the movie on talk shows, dumbass. <laughs> and, then, and then he's made so many phone calls that Stephen gets a restraining order against Strickland. And by the way, I'm filing the restraining order on the name Strickland. Strick, I'm Strickland. So Strickland files an affidavit in the California court stating a mutual friend of the two men called him to tell him, quote, watch your ass. Now, Strickland said his safety is a concern because Stephen knew powerful people who had a financial interest in keeping his rep up. Right. And the mutual friend said to Spy Magazine, quote, you don't fuck with people from 18th Avenue in Brooklyn. Now, why did he say that, you ask? Because for a while now, Stephen has been telling everyone that he was raised no. in Brooklyn around mafia guys. What? So it's been, I mean, again, it's just he's like, I mean, you've shown no reason why he should stop lying. It's been right. pretty effective for the most uh, 100%. part. 100%. So it like, works. Yeah. So he's just building. By the way, I'm Fat Tony. <laughs> Strickland even went as far as to write up the stories Stephen had stolen and sent them to Michael Ovitz. Of course, nothing happened with that because Ovitz is his agent. Right. right. In 1992, his film Under Siege comes out and makes 157 at the box office U.S. I saw so it. that's huge. Yeah. He's now a full-fledged action brand. And right. much like the movie Boogie Nights... There's two parts to the story. This was the first good fun part, and the second part is going to be a dark nightmare. 
I can't. A boogie nightmare. A boogie nightmare. Um, I can't wait. Research by uh, me and Ron Pacone. Um, sources. Uh, Vern Sigology, a study... Uh, this just says Vern, sorry. <laughs> a study of ass-kicking films of Steven Seagal by Titan Books. Um, and then there's a bunch of different articles. LA Times, LA, tons of LA Times stuff. New York Times, NPR, The Guardian, SEC.gov, Vox, Daily Mail, Wales Online, BuzzFeed, The Baffler, uh, Telegraph, tons of stuff. Deadline. Spy. I mean, just go look at the list. It's uh, Forbes, blah, blah, blah. Wow. I got to say, just when I think I've heard it all. <laughs> We're talking about Steven Seagal. Uh, wait until I mean that that's just the Hollywood part. It's it's gonna go international and fucking. Oh, I mean, I know a little bit. I it mean, goes to some, places. Yeah, he gets can't that. Even he, comprehend. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Gobble gobble. Gobble gobble. Oh wow, nuts. Uh oh, it says my memory card is full. <laughs> <laughs>